everybody recovered after last night. <laughs> it was a fun time last night. What's that? Yeah, lots of people. Lots of good people. But that's why I figured most people wouldn't cope today. You know, a one, one time per weekend is what you can expect. So thank you for coming then. So uh, I think what I'd like to do is, since we don't have a lot of people here, is keep it maybe short. And if there's anything people want to talk about, then we can do that. But uh, one of the things that came up last night uh, with the, the party, the open house, was um, the change in weather, of course, uh, having all these people come in and what came up was the holiday season for me, that, that we're kind of coming into the holiday season. And um, by the way, I'll be traveling for Thanksgiving, so I won't be here on the weekend of the 25th, I believe. But Ken has offered to give a talk on the 26th, Ken Simon. So please come and support him uh, if you can to... Um, to hear him. But what I was thinking about was how much of a challenge this time of year can be for so many people. Do you guys agree? Yes. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, coming into Thanksgiving and then, of course, Hanukkah Christmas and New Year's. Uh, I think the holidays, but also the weather, right? The turning of the, the the daylight dwindling, getting less and less as we approach the solstice. The winter solstice is is really um, difficult for a lot of people, and some people this time of year begin to experience some dread. Um, so I thought as you know, a community of practitioners that that's good to acknowledge. That's good to kind of nod uh, and acknowledge. And so maybe we could look at that a little bit from, the, from a Buddhist perspective. Um, now, of course, for some people, this time of year is great, you know, full of all kinds of things, family and friends and shopping and gifts and big meals and all that kind of thing. Um, but even with that, even when that's our experience, it can be challenging to remain grounded in our practice. And um, when I was training at the Rochester Zen Center in residence, uh, I was probably 20, 22 or 23 Maybe it was a little after that, but uh, new to practice, newer to practice. And my teacher at the time would often remind the staff, the residential staff, of how much of a challenge it can be to return home during the holidays because the center would close. Well, you could stay there certainly, but there would be really not a lot of activity. It would be a staff break and people would go home one place or another. And he would remind us of how 
challenging it can be. And I swear, I sensed a real delight in him <laughs> over that challenge. Uh, I remember going to Doksan many times and him going, so how was it? You know, with kind of a wink in his eye or a little twinkle in his eye. Knowing that our practice really comes under duress when we begin to see our families again. And so this time of year has always struck me as a particularly rich time uh, for putting our skills of present moment awareness, grounded, staying grounded, uh, practice of generosity, of non-attachment, putting all these to the test. I came across an article that I thought would be interesting to read a couple of paragraphs from. And it's called A Buddhist Guide to Surviving the Holidays. And it's from 2013 from the Huffington Post. Um, It's by an Ethan... Nishturn. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but we'll go with that. So he starts off by saying kind of what I just laid out. He says, let's face it, sometimes the holidays just suck. Maybe that's not the most Buddhist way of saying it, but that's how it feels. Even more than in the past years, friends and students are reporting feeling stress and foreboding right now. To be honest, I'm feeling a sense of burden and anxiety too. That strange feeling when there's too much to do and not any clear sense of intention behind the doing of it. The holiday season has given me reason to pause and think about what really matters. And guess what? It's neither Black Friday nor Cyber Monday. So I, th- I think he's right, and, and I think it's worth considering. Um, I've said it before here, and I think it's worth saying again, uh, that oftentimes when he says that's not a very Buddhist thing to say, the holidays suck, right? We have to be careful about that, because sometimes as Practitioners, we get it in our heads that we have to be okay with everything. Like we have to just put on a half smile. And I see that as kind of a spiritual costume in a way. So um, a lot of us do feel the stress around the holidays. And so we have to be careful about trying to be okay with things, and also finding a balance between that and getting into negative thinking, get, getting bogged down into negative thoughts. Um, we don't want to deny our experiences in, in our practice. We want to be honest about our experiences. At the same time, Zen practice challenges us to see past our 
conditioning, past our usual ways of interacting and viewing and thinking about the world, including um, this time of year. When I first began going home from those early days at the Zen Center, I remember returning to my parents' house. Uh, we would meet there every year for Christmas. And I had, at that point, a tendency to kind of try to rise above it all. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to put all these memories aside put off, you know, shrug off the commercialization that was so prevalent in my family, the commercialization of the holidays, and uh, just try to bliss out, <laughs> sort of just become as zen as I could. And But as I look back, although I meant well on the one hand, I would say that on the other hand, I felt in a way that I was better than my family. Um, more in touch or more authentic or something. Um, that I had seen through sort of the illusions of the holidays while they were caught up in it, you know. And that's a lot of ego. That was a lot of ego. So I guess one warning for this holiday season is to beware of false spirituality in ourselves. To practice, of course, to continue practice, but not to identify with it, not to take it on as another layer of identity. It's so tempting because of this rampant um, materialism that we are all swimming in. Anyway, so he says in that paragraph, I go back to that, he said that he, he gets anxiety. This, he says that strange feeling when there's too much to do and not any clear sense of intention behind the doing of it. And when he says that, what came to mind for me was what in Buddhism we call habit energy. Or um, I think the Sanskrit word is vashana. I, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it means to permeate or to infuse. And what this infusion is, is our unconscious patterns. They're kind of infused into our body. And another, an interesting word for, and our translation for uh, Vashana is clothing, believe it or not. Clothing. It's like the clothing that we wear. You know, we don't really think about it once we've donned our clothing. It's just there. It's these patterns 
from our past, the habit energies that are carried from the seeds of our, fat, uh, our past and how they affect us. Um, the way we interpret everything, the way we see or hear in terms of our habit energy. And a very famous teacher once said that if we crumpled a piece of paper up, it would be difficult to make it lie flat again. That's habit energy. The habit energy is our crumpledness. It's very hard to iron those wrinkles out. For example, when we meet somebody, what we're really meeting is not the other person, but our own habit energy, our own view that prevents us from seeing really who's in front of us, our habit energy that keeps us from perceiving what's real. Uh, but our reactions to things have their own patterns and we're caught up in these patterns. The good news is that, of course, these habit patterns can be seen through and they can be changed or worked with. And the way that we do that, as the author alludes to in this article, is with our intention. You know, the, to first notice all of the memories and feelings and thoughts that come up around this time of year and just to notice how those are tied to our habit energy, our past. And then to begin to work against that if they're problematic with our intention. What is our intention with any given action? with Thanksgiving and Christmas and all this, it can be wrapped up so much in our identities as, for example, givers or receivers or expectations about receiving approval or needing to be seen as altruistic or, you know, there's so many things but what the, I found, I think I said this earlier, is that the best way we can approach this is really with honesty. Um, not even needing to change everything right away, but just being honest about what our intentions are. Bringing that to light and then bringing a sense of truthness, truthfulness to it. So the author goes on. He says, why are we so stressed? Maybe it's because somehow we've managed to turn a time that is supposed to be about gratitude, rejoicing, and celebrating another year of humanity into a stressful meteor shower of economic obligations, frenetic to-do lists, politicized holiday parties, and empty slogans of spirituality. And so we too can become, end up feeling distant. And this is true. As Buddhists, we, I don't know about you guys, but it oftentimes feels like we're going against the stream. I think there's actually a Buddhist group, a national Buddhist group called uh, Against the Stream. Is that right? Does anybody know about that? No? But 
it's really our practice helps us see through those patterns of, of dissatisfaction and seeing how um, these branches, or maybe vines is a better image, how these vines of attachment and clinging feed our dissatisfaction. And this alone is a radical statement in our culture. It really goes against the stream of this material abundance, overabundance that we have. The article goes on and he says, on top of all this, there's a little thing called your family, in all caps, as he puts it. <laughs> the, the founder of the uh, Shambhala tradition, Trungpa, commented that it's actually possible that a person could be enlightened everywhere except around their family. <laughs> Obviously, there are many reasons for this and multiple psychological traditions explore these family dynamics, he goes on. He says, our family has the ability to provoke us more than anyone else on the planet because they remind us of the most, most of our habitual patterns and karmic tendencies. They're the ones who remind us of our own stuckness. Do you remember uh, from childhood uh, the tale of Br'er Rabbit? I hadn't thought about this forever, and then it just came to mind. Uh, and Br'er Fox, and how the fox was always trying to get Br'er Rabbit. And do you remember one time he decided to make uh, the Tar Baby? And he puts Tar Baby out, right? And Br'er Rabbit's kind of walking down the lane and sees Tar Baby and says, why, hello. <laughs> right? I don't remember exactly how it goes, but he tries to engage Tar Baby in a conversation. And he just, Tar Baby, of course, is, <laughs> doesn't say a damn thing. right? So Br'er Rabbit starts to get offended. And what does he do? Oh, yeah, right. Socks him in the face, right? <laughs> and then he gets stuck. So he punches him again. He gets stuck. And then he kicks him and gets stuck. Right? And then of course Fox comes along and sees this and blah Right. And then I guess I guess Br'er Rabbit says, Well, you know, whatever you do, don't throw me in the briar patch. Right. <laughs> but but I think this this uh, is an apt uh, metaphor for the way sometimes we feel with approaching family. You know, the way we feel, we, like our punches just don't do anything. They just get us stuck. Um, I, when I was thinking about this, I emailed uh, a teacher of mine who I remembered, uh, well, I was trying to remember a story from a particular uh, Zen master, and I asked him if he could help me, but he said, I couldn't remember, I can't, I can't think of any Zen master you're thinking about, but I, I did, uh, uh, I do remember that Jesus actually had this problem. And so, do you remember from, uh, I, I don't know much about the Bible, but uh, apparently in the book of Mark, there's a time when Jesus was teaching and he actually goes home. 
he goes home to his hometown and he enters the synagogue and begins to teach. And at that point, um, they said, who is this guy? Isn't this the old carpenter? Isn't this the, isn't this, uh, Mary's kid? Right. And they, and they just totally dismiss him as any kind of teacher. Um, and, and, and so this, uh, the same thing happened with, um, Basho, the famous Zen, uh, Japanese Zen poet. Um, he said, you can't teach the truth in your native town. They will always know you by your childhood names. I, I really like that. Yes. So family time the time and time around the holidays really shows us that. I mean, parents know this, right? <laughs> you can't be very spiritual around your kids. Um, so anyway, uh, what, what I thought about was how monastic practice works. And the holidays can be like monastic practice. People have heard this probably before, but monastic practice has been likened to cleaning potatoes. The way you clean potatoes is you just fill up a gigantic pot of water and you put all the potatoes in and you stir them around. And they knock against each other. And as they knock against each other, the friction knocks the dirt off. And this is how monastic practice is seen, is when, you, when we practice with others, when we practice in community, we rub up against each other and we have our dirt knocked off. And I think this is, we don't need monastic practice for this. In fact, I think family practice is sometimes much more challenging than any kind of monastic practice because there's nobody like family to knock our dirt off, right? So what do we do during these times of year? This time of year, how do we practice? And that's what I'd like to open it up to. Let's see if anybody has ideas. One thing that came up for me is to sit more, just to sit more. we could all use to increase our sitting time. Now that can be again challenging because this time of year we've got lots to do. And um, maybe not for people here, but I, I just don't know, but um, that can be also challenging because if we decide to sit more, then that means time less time with the family, right? Or less time with our friends. So you don't wanna sacrifice that. You know, the last thing you wanna do is create divisions by saying, you know what, I'm just going to go off by myself and sit. But at the same time, it's important, I think, to, to draw some boundaries and say, this is, this is what keeps me grounded. This is what keeps me sane during this time of year. Does anybody, so I, I kind of want to stop there because um, 
I'd love to see if anybody has any other suggestions about, or maybe this um, topic is not really uh, pertinent to you. And if not, I'd love to know why. Like maybe you found a way through this time of year with grace and. Well, it's very pertinent to me. I mean, I I grew up in a small town where I was like the only non-Christian, and Christmas always was a time of feeling. you said something about going against the grain. I mean, I, I, I was very alienated. And in fact, uh, I was told that I had killed Christ when I was six years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, and then I married two Christian, I have been married to two Christian women, and, and Christmas was very burdensome to them to, to buy everybody on, on their list gifts and, and bake and cook uh, and please their mothers. Hmm. And, and they were particularly worried about pleasing the, my mother-in-laws, and and so both my wives became very, um, very unhappy around Christmas time, and it, and then that affected my relationship. This is a very important time. It's a very depressing time for me. Yeah. So how do you work through that, Sam? How do you work with that so that it? You can be as skillful as possible. Well, you know, I told you my dad died recently, so I won't be going home to be a child. I, I, I'm not married now. I'm not. I, I don't have my father. I have to go home to be a child, but I am going home to be a grandfather. Hmm. So it's going to be a new role, and maybe, maybe it'll be better. I'm sure it will be. So it's a combination of, of that peacemaker and also realizing this is so funny because this is so important. There's nothing brings impermanence of, of your life and you know, you know, changing life as much as these holidays for you.
do you do you um, do gift exchanges and and sort of uh, in the Christian kind of around Christmas or? Yeah, with our kind of families. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, I, I think at some point, instead of feeling like I wanted to go against the stream, I just became a stream entrant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just without yeah. any boundaries or barriers, just entered the stream, and but in a way where love and giving, mm. you know, the kind of core intention. That's the Zen way through it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just to become the stream. Yeah. yeah.
I wonder if um, practicing in a community like this and emerging community can be helpful during this time. I, um, Kim and Matt last night were mentioning doing New Year's here, that that's been a tradition here. Oh, all Yeah. Yeah. Which I also have, you know, not here, but at pretty much for the last 25 years, spent maybe all but two in Zen centers. You know, sitting a lot. You know, everyone else is out kind of like getting drunk and stuff, and it's kind of nice to just stay grounded and together under candlelight and warmth and, yeah. So I, and then see you in the new year. Yeah, yeah. You can drink and sit. You can drink and sit. You can try, but <laughs> I don't know how it would work out for you. <laughs> you sit first and then drink. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to stay up till midnight. Yeah. Yeah. But I, they do uh, others here. I know we're a small group, so maybe we'll continue to poll people. But would people be interested in that, perhaps? Yeah. In the Zendo? It's a great time to sit because the, your mind starts to get sleepy, and so you can kind of come in and out with the dim light and the candles. I don't. That's my experience from years of doing it of just like this flowing quality of not worrying so much about being so attentive, but but just letting the mind kind of relax into the into that late night, kind of like yaza. You know, in Sashin, there's what's called yaza, which is late night sitting where traditionally you'd sit up all night and, you know, kind of doze off as you're sitting. Especially with a big pole. Yeah, yeah. But we could certainly open the dorm rooms and people could nap for a little while and then come back and then, you know, have 
restful areas. But and in the past, I don't know that we can do that this year, but maybe. Um, in the past, sometimes what we've done too, not here, obviously, but is to take the precepts as the first thing we do in the new year. Just to, you know, kind of a, not a real big precept ceremony, but just a renewal of vows. Just together we recite them, which is great for setting the intentions for the new year. Let's continue to work on it and get something going. Good. Okay. So somebody just pulled up, but let's do the four vowels and then we'll end. Okay.